Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim in the Room podcast. Your host, Asma Hussein, Iman Ahmed, and Zainab Zafar are three Canadian Muslim women. Every week, they will discuss issues that are relevant to the celebration, growth, and empowerment of Muslim women in the West. They will confront some of the social issues affecting us through thought-provoking topics. We would love for you to join us. You can do that by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. But for now, join us and let's get into today's episode. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to The Muslim in the Room. Today we're chatting about the idea of the perfect parent. So does a perfect parent exist? And not just that, but does perfect parenthood exist? I've been thinking about this a lot in light of the decisions we've all had to make recently about sending our kids back to school in the middle of a pandemic. What are you guys' thoughts? Esma, this is a hot topic and I think many parents are struggling to make a decision right now between making a decision from a place of, you know, perfection and being that perfect parent or making the decision based on personal needs or family needs and wants. And I think that's, that's, I feel like where we're finding the biggest struggle. It's like, what am I supposed to do as a perfect parent? You know, as opposed to what am I supposed to do as the parent I am right now? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because what you brought up, Iman, I think is actually the crux of this whole episode, I want to say. Like, do you make decisions based on what's right for you and for your family and for your kids? Or are you making decisions based on what you perceive to be what a perfect parent should be doing? Yeah. I think a lot of us actually, we fall into this trap where we make decisions that might not actually be right for our families, but we feel like mm-hmm. I should be able to do this because everyone else is doing it and everyone else seems to do, be doing fine. Or like we have this kind of concept in our heads of what a perfect parent should look like or should, what they should be capable of doing. And if we're not capable of doing it, then, well, dang, we, we're probably terrible parents. Yeah. Or that we failed parenthood. So if I don't yeah. do X, Y, Z, I have failed as a parent. The, and the X, Y, Z is not coming from you. It's not coming from your family. It's coming from society. Yeah, <laughs> it's really important to kind of keep Keep in mind, like each family, the circumstances, you know, are different. I've always, like, I always see these posts on social media, even from scholars, scholars or people who run like Islamic parenting pages or whatever on social media. And they always come out and say, you should be doing this with your kids. This is how you should be teaching them about Salah. This is when you should start them on memorizing the Quran. Like there's all, and it's always said in such a factual way that, we internal like I internalize it. I'm like, oh my God, I was supposed to start this last year and I didn't. And I feel like the way in which we speak about how to raise our kids is often put forward in a very strict way, like by this age. And obviously we know that there are guidelines. Like for example, we know that kids should start being introduced to Salah when they're seven years old and then should be disciplined by the time they're 10. You know what I mean? So there is some sense of when you should start teaching the kids more about the religion and stuff like that. We do have guidelines. So I'm not saying that those guidelines don't exist. They absolutely do. But in terms of stuff that's not set in stone, being put forward to us as if it's like a factual thing. Like if you want to follow the sunnah of being a good parent, you should be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Esma. And you know, I was just thinking about this idea that the mother is supposed to be all, do it all in the household, right? So the mother is supposed to nurture, educate, raise more so than any other figure in the family household. And, mm-hmm. you know, it made me think about at the time of the Prophet وسلم, and a practice that they used to have back then when children were born, they were sent out to wet nurses, as we know, right? 
So the mother would yeah. breastfeed for, for, I don't know how long, but she would breastfeed for a certain amount of time. And then the baby was sent out to a wet nurse for almost two years, right? And that child yeah. will then come back to his mom, you know, as a toddler. Now, it really made me think about, look at the difference between the practice then and the practice now. Based on our practices now, we would label back then those mothers as bad mothers. Am I right? Because mm-hmm. they sent out their children to strangers. <laughs> To yeah. <laughs> I mean, based on our no, definition right. right now, those were horrible mothers. And yet they were able to produce the best of mankind at the time. I mean, the Prophet's life, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It really mm-hmm. makes you think this, where does this idea come from that the mother is supposed to do everything? The biggest example we have at the time of the Prophet sallam, is that it took a village to raise a child and they practiced this. It was a practical reality for them. It wasn't, the mother didn't have to do everything. Even when it came to breastfeeding, she was given a break. To breastfeeding, like think yeah. about that. Forget raising mm-hmm. children, taking them to school, bringing them back. No, 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 no. The fact that only a mother can nurse, that burden, or I shouldn't say a burden, but that responsibility was also shared with her because of how significant of a responsibility it is to raise a child. So it really makes you think mm-hmm. and ponder where are these ideologies and thoughts coming from? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know what, what I was thinking, Iman, is that there's, there's this whole fiqh around or like rulings around like your siblings through breastfeeding. Yes. You could not be related to somebody by blood, but if you're breastfed by the same woman, you're almost, you're considered siblings. Like yes. that person is like, like a mahram mm-hmm. for you. And I was like, there's, there's all these rulings around this, but that has been so lost in our generation, not just in our generation, in multiple generations, I'm sure. But it's interesting because why would someone else breastfeed your child? Exactly. Because it was so ingrained. Like it was just a part of that you're sharing responsibilities with other, with other families and other mothers. And I think, I mean, this isn't to say that sending your child away for two years is the ideal. Like, I think it, it just speaks to the fact that every culture is different and that yeah. so many things are actually acceptable. But we, we narrow it so much where we think there's only this one acceptable way of being a good parent or the quote unquote perfect parent. And anything outside of that is like terrible. It's exactly what you said, Iman. Like mm-hmm. those people would be considered backwards now. We'd be like, oh my God, how could you send your child away to, for two years? But in reality, culture changes. And there's so many different ways to be like a good, effective parent. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, I agree with you. And we need to also look at it like, why are there so many different pressures on mothers, uh, especially nowadays, right? Where if a woman decides to work, what does that mean? How is she judged on that? If she decides to stay home, how is she being judged on that? In terms of schooling, should she homeschool? Should she send her to public school, uh, Islamic school? You know, all of these pressures are around us. And then there's a certain expectation of what a good mother looks like. And I feel like that needs to be discussed and we need to have conversations around that, right? Like we're having one right now. Uh, we, need to, we need to give sisters a chance to grow themselves as, as, as human beings, <laughs> as just like uh, male family members have a chance to grow in their career or in their upbringing. And I'm not just saying this out of the liberal notion of women must have a career, but the idea is growth is important. For me, like spiritual growth, your physical, you know, well-being, your emotional well-being, where is all that? And it comes with a package and 
And what we think is, honestly, this is what I've seen, like most of my aunties and my mother and speaking from a South Asian perspective, and I've seen that in other communities too, is that the more the mother works, the better she is uh, as a mother. This notion of hardworking mother. This entire notion, you have to work hard in order to be that good mother. You so do you mean work hard outside of the home or do you mean like no. raising your kids? At, like at home, raising kids, you have to be like sweating. You have to be like running around. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. This is how I've seen like, you know, and you have to be exhausted. And like what Iman brought up, such a good point. Where at the time of Rasulullah, the young kids who were babies were taken away from the mother so that she could have that time to kind of recover because it takes time physically to recover from pregnancy at, you know postpartum and there was nurturing of the mother and i'm not saying to like not work hard but the entire idea of exhaustion to a point where you're a good mother when you're you know you've done the best you could like this is it, it's promoted at least from what i can see Speaking from a South Asian perspective like my parents generation when we talk about mother we talk about girls, how we end up raising girls, what are the, some of the expectations we place on girls, and what is it that Islam requires female? You know, what, what, how did we see at the time of Rasulullah Aisha or Khatija and Javeria all of these personalities were so different and yet celebrated. Yeah, that's oh, a really absolutely. good point, Zainab. Absolutely, Zainab. And you know what I was thinking about? This whole parenthood thing, I think we don't live in a society that empowers the parent, period. Yeah. Because we don't allow the parent to catch a breath. How are we even? <laughs> how are we even? <laughs> exactly. The parent feels like they're drowning from the day to day life. Mm-hmm. Where is the empowerment? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like one responsibility over the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. And it, you know what it produced? We see the ramifications of it right now. Parents feel paralyzed. Like they don't even feel like their, their, like their confidence is lacking so much that they feel incompetent to make the right decision for their child, whether it's sending them to school or keeping them home or doing online learning. The fact that there's so much self-doubt, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Parents who are thinking they are terrible parents if they send their kids to school and other parents who feel the exact same opposite. It really made me think about why are parents generally feeling like this right now? Is it because of our view of the parent? here in society. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Iman. Every child and every family is different. And I think that's what we're missing. We're missing this in discussions where you do what's right for your family. And like, I, I just, the thing is, I have no problem with people who decide to homeschool, to send to Islamic school, even to send to public school. I have no problem with it if that's right for your family. But you know, when people come out and they say things that are really judgy and judgmental from an Islamic perspective, then that's what I have a problem with. Because now you're using Islam to tell me that I'm doing something wrong, even though that's a personal judgment that you've made and not a judgment coming from from the Quran, from the Sunnah or anywhere. It really makes me angry. You know what? I, no, absolutely, Isma. And you know, it has, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that parents are viewed, like we have a deficit view of parents in general until proven otherwise. So it's almost as if you're not enough as a parent, unless you prove otherwise, unless you homeschool your kids, right? Or unless you educate them, you nurture them, that you know, you're also educating yourself. I don't know. It's just the concept that just being a mom or just being a parent and that you're competent to make the right decisions for your child isn't enough. It's just, it, it's bizarre to me. And I don't know where it comes yeah. from. 
but it also made me think about the idea that parents don't know what's best for their child. Like if you decided to take your kid to school, who is someone else to come into that picture and tell you, the parent of that child, hey, what you're doing is wrong? I'm sorry, did you birth that child for you to know what's best for them? No. Do you know the parent? No. So who are you to tell me otherwise? But I feel like it happens with everybody, Asma, not just within the Muslim community. I also think it happens outside of the Muslim community as well. I know so many homeschoolers or um, unschoolers or people who take their kids to school who are not Muslim who also fall into this category of bashing or not necessarily bashing, but talking down to other forms of learning. Mm-hmm. And, and my conclusion is always, so long as the child is learning, does it really matter how they're learning? <laughs> the goal is to learn, whether that's done within mm-hmm. the home, within the school, within wherever you decide, as long as the child's learning, that's our goal. But then it also made me think about this concept of our children a reflection of us. Because I think a lot of our decisions come from that, from a place of whatever I choose for my child is going to be a reflection of me. What do you guys think about that? Because I think about this and I think about if my children don't know enough Quran, they don't know enough du'as, I feel like I'm personally responsible. And I feel like if they don't know enough, how will that look on me? And and sometimes I have to tell you, I'm going to be honest. I parent from a place of this child is a reflection of me, so I better get to work, (laughs) you know, and I better teach this child because this child that I'm sending into society is a piece of me. And I want the best yeah. piece of me out there. Yeah, Iman, I totally agree with you. I love the accountability part, but then there has to be some sort of way to see, okay, well, I'm, I don't want to judge myself too harshly. Don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to, to hold yourself accountable, right, for, for the things that you teach your kids. I think it's important for all of us to hold ourselves accountable. But in terms of like, this child is going to be a reflection of me. I think what that ends up doing to us is making us parent from a place of fear almost mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, we're, we're like afraid that this child is going to grow up to be, I don't know, this or that. I, I don't know. Or like mm-hmm. not, this child is going to grow up to be somebody who doesn't follow my same values, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, like this is, this is what I try to remember for myself. And it's such a scary thing. It really is. At the end of the day, I don't have control over what my child does when she becomes an adult. I have no control. All I can do is impart the morals that I believe to be correct to teach her the basics of the religion and then like ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide her. Okay, this is a total tangent. And I know this is going to sound super weird, but on TikTok, <laughs> so I got onto TikTok recently and I'm watching some of these videos where kids, like they play pranks on their parents or like their parents are like dancing with them in videos and that kind of thing. So I'm not saying that go dance with your kids to music in a video on TikTok. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I noticed about these kinds of like trends or whatever? I was, I, I look at these videos and I think these kids are friends with their parents. Like they're friends. And obviously these, they're not young kids. They're like teenagers or, or even kids in their 20s or even 30s and they're like they incorporate their parents into their lives they have conversations with them they're comfortable enough with them to like play play pranks on each other and you know what I mean it comes off as such a wholesome relationship that like you're able to have that friendship with your parents and I think that's what's missing in a lot of our in a lot of our parenting that I I feel like 
when my child grows up, yes, I want her to know the bas- basics of Islam and I want her to have those same values. But at the end of the day, I want her to be my friend. Like I want to have a good relationship with her. And for me, a lot of terbiya, like raising your children, is about relationship, like fostering that loving, open relationship where you can just talk to your child without it being like, do this, do that. If you don't do this, and I'm going to be disappointed in you. And sorry, sorry, I don't know if this is a tangent, but like, I think we lose track sometimes of just how important just fostering a relationship is. Like we think about, okay, my child has only memorized these short surahs or my child only knows like two or three da's. We don't pay attention to fostering this friendly relationship with our child that can continue into our old age, into their adulthood. And I think that's really important. And I agree with you 100%, Asma. And you know what though? I think it doesn't have to be either or. Right, Asma, and I'm sure you agree. Like, it doesn't have to be I'm either building a relationship with my child or that I'm building a structure and I'm teaching them, uh, you know, values For and sure. needs yeah. and whatever. And this has, it can be done together. But I'm going to point out something in terms of uh, yeah, um, teaching our children, building that relationship at the same time. I know now that I'm grown, <laughs> uh, looking back at my childhood, there were times where I didn't enjoy a lot of the things that my mom did. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. And, and this had a lot to do with the academics and learning of the deen and the Quran and the hadith and the And But she was mm-hmm. very strict about it from a very young age. We can still build a relationship. She'll tell me, yes, we'll still bake that cake. But this is a, fine, this is a red line. Whenever it came to the deen, it was a red line. I need you. This is my expectation of you. It needs to get done every single day. Every single day, okay? Yeah. Without fail. As, yeah. And I hated it, you guys. I remember as a child, I was like, why do I have to get up every single day and memorize a, a page of Quran and do this and do that? And I despised it all up until I was a full grown adult like myself right now. <laughs> and I look back and I sat down there the other day and I said, I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful that you did that and that you were strict with me because I didn't know better at that time. And I'm glad that you took that opportunity those young years, and you taught me what I needed to know because without that, I wouldn't have my toolkit to survive life today. I wouldn't. She wasn't strict with me like that. She knew that if I didn't learn what I had to learn at that time, I wouldn't have time when I'm grown and I'm I'm having kids to learn all these things. So she took advantage of those years. And I'm, you guys, wallahi, like I told her, this is the best gift you gave me as a parent. Wallahi, hands down the best gift. The fact that you were so strict with me. And you taught me like that as much as I hated it when I was young, but I'm so appreciative of it today. So, and I always go back to that right now, now that I'm a parent, I think about that with my kids because I see the same pattern. I see myself all over again in my kids. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. And I'm pushing them. And, And subhanAllah, Asma, it's hard. It's hard when you're pushing them towards their potential, but yet build that relationship with them, it, it, it's very difficult and it's very draining. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good point, Iman, because we, we can only try our best and the rest is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't control the guidance of anyone, but we, we do the best we can. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at our effort, right? How much are we putting forth? You know, parenthood is so interesting and it, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. but I can remember my mom, like when you were speaking about this, I can remember her doing little things that would just remain saying something like, you know, to the pharmacist, for example, you have given me extra change and then returning that change back. 
and that I didn't she didn't even have to tell me anything but that just kind of instilled in me okay honesty is really important my mother has shown that to me or like when she would walk and she would just be doing dicker and I could see her like lips moving and I could say well no I think she's doing you know she's doing dicker and you know there was a certain time so she didn't have to do much and that change was just seen and you know we kind of picked that up so you know yeah. this is our notion of like be the change you want to see and I know we have we have our ups and downs but I think when parents are doing their best and you're seeing that and you're observing them or you know getting up for the hajjad or she didn't even have to tell us to, you know, pray salah on time. But if she, when she was doing it, we knew that it was kind of expected. So, you know, I'm a big believer in creating systems and creating them in a way that works best for your family and your child, and then just letting them be. So if I say, okay, Aisha, um, you're going to read half a page of Quran today, then whenever she does it, I'm not going to be on her case of you must have to do it at this time. And you know, so there's flexibility because you want to, uh, like, from my perspective, I've seen my mother do that and it worked. And, you know, whereas other parents' perspective might be, okay, no, you need a routine and you need a time to stick to it. And that might work best for them. We're going back to the same idea of letting parents be. And as long as there is no neglect or abuse or any sort of harm to the child, majority of the parents who are taking care of children, they know what works best for their children. But you know, the, the point that I really wanted to talk about is I do think that the community does play a role in promoting what's best for the children of that community. If we talk about like imams or scholars or whatever in our community or leaders in our community, yes, they do play a role. The other thing I want to bring up, though, is that it's not enough to just say you should raise your kids this way or you should promote these morals without also offering tangible help to, to families who need it. Because I know that we aren't really talking about families who are in the system, like who are deemed to have neglected their chi- children or whatever. We're not talking about that. But I actually think it, if we can just touch on it for a second, if we're going to be in a position where we're saying, okay, we do need to provide guidance for families, then we also need to put ourselves in a position where we say, if families need help, we're going to be there to help them. I love because that. like, yeah, like, and I, I remember I reading this, uh, like I read this a little while ago about, I think, I honestly think it was a tweet. I should have looked it up, but it was somebody who was saying, if you think about neglect, like parents who are struggling financially and therefore mm-hmm. quote unquote neglect their children because they just have to go and work to keep a roof over their heads. What happens? Children's aid comes in, they take their kids away. And then they put them with another family and they pay that family to take care of them. And it's like, wow. why didn't you pay the original family who loves them? Exactly. Like, why didn't you support them? Instead, you're, you've now put these kids in a system where they're with like a random, a random set of parents. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there's a lot of inconsistencies. So I feel like, yes, we should be there in terms of our words where we're supporting families and we're giving, we're giving advice and stuff like that. But we can't be only that because when you're only a mouthpiece and you're saying, oh, parents, you should be doing this for your kids. You should be doing that. But you're not willing to actually physically be there in support when families actually need support. Then what's Mm -hmm. even the point of what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Asma, I agree with you. So, yeah, Asma, what you're saying is so powerful because it's so important as well. It's like, you know, if you want another family's children to start praying, 
then what are you, are you holding some sort of halakha for them? Are you bringing the family together, people together, so that you could talk about the importance of salah or just to talk about getting closeness to Allah subhanahu wa or to expose them to the Islamic teaching? I totally agree with you. Like there is an aspect of us where we can do that verbal piece, but we also have to show that interaction and also have to show that we genuinely care. That's why we are saying but we're not just saying it so that we can put your kid down or your family down and feel superior to you know, how your family is dealing with certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then what you spoke about in terms of systems, they need to really be questioned on how they're dealing with the idea of the neglect of child and abuse of child and how, how parents play a role in that and, and to kind of bring in the help before that help is even required. Right? Yeah. To- Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm thinking about, um, Asma, when you said about the family is struggling to make ends meet, therefore they neglect the children. I ask myself one question: Where are the neighbors? This is what we're lacking in our community. Mm-hmm. Where is the importance of the neighbor? And we know the importance of the neighbor. The you know in our religion that the neighbor has rights upon us. So my question to you is: If we fostered that strong bond within our community. And each neighbor knows what's going on next door and how this family needs help or this family needs me to babysit. I feel like that's what we're missing. And that's where a lot of our dysfunction comes from as a community. The other aspect is accepting help. Um, I feel like this is a huge, huge thing in our community. We have a very hard time accepting help. Very hard time, especially coming from Muslims. (laughs) I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know if it's an ego thing or I don't know if it goes back to our view of the parent. So therefore, if I'm supposed to be the perfect parent, I'm supposed to be taking, taking care of all these responsibilities by myself. Therefore, if I accept help, then I'm not the perfect parent, right? I have failed as a yeah. parent if I'm accepting help. This is the, the concept we have. And I know I have this. It took me such a long time to be able to accept help from people. Such a long time because I felt like if I accepted help, that meant I failed. That meant I wasn't doing my part. SubhanAllah, like, you know, it's a complicated issue. Yeah, it's, it, I think it goes back to what Zainab said earlier, that like, it's almost like a badge of honor to sacrifice everything inside yes. of you for your kids. Until you die. If you don't, yeah, until you die. But that's so, that's so unhealthy. That's so sad. And then... <laughs> Right. And subhanAllah, I feel like the role of the woman today is facing so many battles. Absolutely. I can't even. It's, it's, so, it's such a difficult place to be. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to have yeah. so much self-confidence almost to be okay with how you are as an individual, how you are as a parent and not let all of the voices the tens of voices that are coming at you to confuse you and to bring you down and stuff like that. But it's, it's a constant struggle. And I think that's why, that's why so many of us feel so exhausted because on top of, Oh my God, it comes from your loved ones. That's what really hurts you. It comes from people who genuinely care about you and your kids. And then they say something like, Oh, you know, I see that person's kid eating this. Are you giving them proper meal? Why do they look like this? Why do they look like they lost weight? Why did they, you know, and it's this constant thing. Am I doing the right thing? And it's coming from people you love. And that's the thing. Like, yeah. where do you draw that line? Where do you draw that boundary of saying, I'm happy with my parenting? But at the same time, I'm always in constant growth, learning more. It's a huge battle. It's so, it's everyday battle, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Can we just agree that moms are amazing? Like, 
in every way possible. Oh my goodness. Always, <laughs> always. You know, that's what I always, I think that's something every mom needs to remind herself of. Like put it in your bathroom, write it down, you know, <laughs> to appear in front of you and just because the whole world's against you at one point. So you have to, you know, take that positive affirmation and keep telling it to yourself. You know what, what I want to talk about though, and something that really stands out to me is when I think about the role of parent and sacrifice. And I think we, talk, we touched upon this. I remember attending a workshop and I loved what the speaker was saying. She said, as mothers specifically, we need to stop with the mindless sacrificing. You guys, this touched me. And I was like, wow. You know, we don't even realize the things we sacrifice sometimes. Like, do you, can you, do you guys keep count of the things you sacrifice? Mm. We don't, right? It's almost as no. if we're in this run of mindless sacrifices. Just keep sacrificing, keep sacrificing. And she's like, mm-hmm. that will ultimately destroy you. Like, you need to stop it. If you're going to sacrifice, do it intentionally and mindfully. This was a game changer for my parenting guys. To the point where before I tell myself, oh, you know what? No, I won't take this course this semester because I need to, you know, take my kids more outside or whatever, (laughs) take them outdoors. I realized that. Yeah. I realized now I stop myself and I ask myself, is this a mindless sacrifice or are we going to do this with intention? Because it's going to look very different. When we, she was talking about when we sacrifice intentionally, we won't do it out of resentment. And I realize a lot of the things sometimes that I do for my loved ones is sometimes done out of resentment because <laughs> I feel obligated and I don't want to do it though. And then I resent it. It's like, yeah. oh, but why did I do it? But then who are you serving in this? Like when you do this, not only are you not serving yourself, but you're not serving the people you love either. Who wants to have, you know, sacrifices that are done for them out of resentment? Nobody does. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Why have I not heard of this before? Why have you not told me this before? You <laughs> I know <laughs> I should have, but I, I love the idea. If you guys are listening, honestly, try it out before you say, you know, you force yourself to do something, ask yourself, am I doing this out of resentment or am I doing this? You know, am I going to do this intentionally or not? And if the answer is no, and you're not going to do it out of good intentions and you're not going to do it mindfully and intentionally, then set the boundary. Say, you know what? Unfortunately, I can't do this right now, but maybe tomorrow or another day or a few months from now. But I realized that it really helps with your contentment and happiness because you start to serve from a place of love rather than a place of resentment, of yeah. obligation, of, oh, I have to do this. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's actually, that's, I think that's a really, really good point to end on, Ian, because I'm going to start thinking about this too, because I, I definitely find myself throughout the day making little sacrifices here and there without even understanding what I'm doing. I'll make, I'll make my daughter lunch, like a good lunch. And then by the time I'm done, I'm like, nah, I don't want to make myself a good lunch. And I'll just eat like junk food or I'll eat like a bag of chips or something. Why, why am I sacrificing my energy to make her something good when I'm not doing it for myself too? And not to say that I shouldn't be doing it for her because obviously I don't want her to have a bag of chips for lunch. But why is it that I'm willing to sacrifice for my child, but not willing to put in the same effort for myself? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that was like that's a little bit of a tension. And you know, that's and a little bit no, of a different. And asma, self care, right? When we are applying self care and self love, we're actually helping those around us too, because we will be much happier. We will be much content, and it actually, you know, I really believe that we create that energy around us that our kids are going to pick up that too. Yeah, I think I think my takeaway is really being conscious of the decisions that you're making, and being confident in that you're doing the best that you can for your child. And I think that a lot of us 
like most parents care very deeply about the decisions that they make for their kids. And they put in a lot of due diligence and they make the decision that's best for their family. And once you do that, and once you make a Sahara and you're decided on it, if we can get to a point where we filter out all the warring voices and we're just satisfied and content with what we've decided and how we want to move forward in our parenting, I think that's a really good space to be in. My takeaway is that the perfect parent does not exist in this world. <laughs> so scratch it. There's no such thing as the perfect parent or the perfect child or the perfect human being. Like it just does not exist. It's not meant to be in this world. Inshallah, in the Akhirah, we hope to be. And in Jannah, inshallah. And at the end of the day, I think my ultimate takeaway is to serve from a place of purpose, to feel confident in my role as a parent. I mean, to me, I ask myself, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose me to be the parent of this child, then I must have what it takes to take care of this child. So, you know, stepping into my, to my space and taking charge of it and just making lots, lots and lots of da'a and always uh, realizing that no matter how hard we try as parents to raise human beings, ultimately only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides their fate. So my job is to make sure that they know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they know how to worship him, and the rest is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I love that. Both of you ladies honestly summed it up really nice. I don't have much to say, but I'll just say that, you know what, love yourself and don't be too critical of yourself. Seek help when you need it. Like Iman said, please accept help when you need it. And you're not a bad parent if you're seeking help. Let yourself be a true worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your kids will pick up and be flexible, but also always start to do more. That's amazing. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and for tuning in to today's episode. Let us know what your thoughts are over on Instagram. The Muslim in the room. Assalamualaikum. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, so be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to connect with us a little bit more, join us over at Instagram at the handle The Muslim in the Room. Tune in next week for another thought-provoking, or who knows, maybe even a little controversial episode. Until then, take care and assalamualaikum.